Okay, so this this week what's bubbling up in my spirit is um, the awe of God. I've been reading uh, John Revere's book called The Awe of God. And here just, oh man, it's like my personal Vanna White right here. Awe of God by John Bevere. You really, really should. I recommend everybody get this book and really dig into it. There's a copy right over there. And it's really broken down like each, uh, it's broken down by day, so it takes like five, ten minutes each each day, or you can do like two sections in a day. And I'm just in the first like seven days of it, and um, this is kind of an answer for a prayer for me because I I decided that I really wanted to pursue like God to like just a deeper level this summer. And the fact that like this is on my radar right now is kind of, well, like a God thing, right? So it's not a coincidence. Um, and he just, he explains really well, like, you know, the fear of God. That It's the fear of God sometimes is a hard topic to understand, but he breaks it down. You know, there are, we have a lot of fears in the world that are, are not, they're not healthy fears. Like, we fear things so much that it, we make poor decisions. But then there are good fears, like, we shouldn't step out in, this, in a busy street because we're going to get hit by something. So that's a healthy fear. But there are other bad fears, right? But then but then he describes the fear of the Lord. Which, well, he does a lot better job than me, but essentially it's the fear the fear of God is um is afraid <laughs> is afraid of is afraid of being out of his presence. It's no. No. Uh there's uh, there's a bird. Um there's a, uh, the fear of God, the fear of God is being, is, it is being in awe of him, of being how great he is, but it's also, it's not like, I'm afraid of you, God, and I'm pulling back. It's, I'm afraid of being somewhere without your presence with me. I'm afraid of, of you not being in my plans. I'm afraid of you not um, impacting every area of my life. And so the fear of God becomes like, God, I just want you to be every, I want to be everywhere you are. I don't want to be far from you. And so that really helped me to, to even further dive in like, oh, that's the fear of God. But that was just the kind of the beginning because it talks about beholding his greatness and thinking about the awe of God and like, how do I, how do I recognize just how amazing God is? And I realized, like, I need to start small. Like, okay, well, he's, he is bigger than my SUV. And, like, let's see, I, ha- I have a house. Is he bigger than my house? Yes. Start small if you, if you think. And then I'm like, all right, fine. Let's skip to the end. Uh, what's something powerful that I know about? Uh, aircraft carrier. He's bigger than an aircraft carrier. It's more powerful. What about... Uh, fighter jet, like what's the most one of the most powerful fighter jets? Uh, the you know God is more powerful than the engines, full afterburner thrust. But then like what about the knowledge? The not like how knowledgeable is God? How much does he know? How much wisdom does he have? And I start to think about like well we have a lot of resources available to us like Google and dictionaries and people and 
the internet. But then I started to think, well, if I have the correct perspective about God, I begin to realize that all of the information in the world, all the internet, on all the servers, is just a tiny, 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 tiny little drop of wisdom compared to God's amazing, great wealth of wisdom. See what I'm saying? Because I had to, I realized I needed to train myself. How do I think of God as really big? And then I begin to see, like, well, what about his, his glory, like, or his brightness, like God is light, like God is, is so much light, there's no darkness in him. And I started making comparisons, like, okay, well, the sun's pretty bright. Well, God's, God's light is brighter than the sun. That's how bright Jesus is. That's how bright God is. So I started putting God in perspective. And um, I was like, not only that, like, take, all, take the sun and all the stars in the universe and put them together, and God's light makes the sun's light dim. We could just keep going. You could just, just just pick some, pick anything that you think is big or great or huge, and now just put God right next to it. And God is either a billion times bigger than that, or he's a million times more powerful than that, or he's just so much brighter. Like, you start taking those things, you're like, oh, the, the stars are dim. Like, when the sun comes out, you can't see the stars anymore because the sun is so bright, you can't see the stars. Well, Jesus is so bright, he'll make the sun, it'll, the sun will go, you won't see the sun anymore. That's how bright Jesus is. So that's why I wanted, that's been what's been bubbling up in my spirit. And I wanted to encourage you guys as we go into worship, because we're worshiping a, a God that is so bright, so amazing, and yet he sent his son to die on the cross for us. Like, you're certain, I'm like, man, kind of starting a little bit feeling insignificant but yet kind of amazing that he came after us anyway. And so just, I wanted to encourage you guys to think on that. And there's a, this uh, verse in Isaiah 60, 19 through 20. It says, The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. That's how bright God is. That's how big he is. All of our situations are just nothing. And so and he's so good. His goodness is so good. It just is blowing around. I was like, I was like, I was doing this whole comparison thing. I'm like, oh man, God, you're so good. You're so good. You're so big. Like the hurricane, a hurricane is just a sneeze compared to, to the wind of the Holy Spirit. All the thunder and the greatest thunderstorms you've ever seen are just tiny little whispers compared to God's thunder. You know what I mean? The flashes of lightning that we could see are just dim little things like, was that even a lightning compared to God's lightning? 
the fires that we see, like even, even the greatest forest fires that we've seen in our state and other states are just tiny smoldering things compared to God's amazing fire. And he comes down in, and we get to invite him in, into ourselves and he's doing this work. We can, he's such a good God, we can trust him with everything. I'm not sure why I was doing this for such a long time, but I was kind of afraid of submitting every part of my life to him. But we do not have to be afraid. We can give it all to him because he's such a good God. He gave us all these dreams and things, but we can give him our, we can, we can say, here are my dreams, Lord. We can give him our fears. We can, we can give him everything that we have. And we can trust him with it because he's such a good God and he's such a huge God. He's such an amazing God. So I just want to encourage you guys with that as we go into worship. Oh, and I forgot to ask everybody to stand. Can everybody stand? Let's all stand and let's just invite Holy Spirit tonight. Like, I, I'm a, I hope you guys come, come this distance where it's just not enough to, to come to church. We want more of Jesus every day in our lives. It's just not enough. Like, this is good too. Don't get me wrong. I love you guys. But I'm getting to a place where I'm like, I just need Jesus every day. It's not enough. So, Lord, we just thank you for just how amazing you are, how big you are. You're, you're so full of wisdom that we can't even fathom how much you know and, and, and how much wisdom you have. And we can't even fathom how bright you are. And we just hold you in complete awe as we come before you tonight to worship you. And tonight we give you the best praise and worship we've ever given you. Ever. And we thank you, Lord, that you're such a good God. You're so worthy. Let's just thank him, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Father. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you, Lord. We give you glory. We give you all the praise. We give you our hearts. We pour out our hearts to you. And we are not afraid to give you everything because we know you are such a good God. You are an awesome God. We don't need anything else. Every other power in the earth is insignificant and powerless compared to your power. So we love you, Lord. We praise you. We give you all the glory as we, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Holy, 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 Lord. God, tonight we just declare you are holy. You are holy. You are an all-consuming fire. And just like a, a moth is drawn to the flame, God, we are drawn to you. We are drawn to your fire. Lord, we're willing. Tonight we say we are willing to come closer, to draw near to you because you are drawing near to us. And we're saying tonight, we're not afraid of the fire, but we fear your name. Not in a scared fear, but a holy, reverential fear. We, we reverence your name. We say tonight, hallowed be your name. You are holy. You are holy. And apart from you, we are nothing. 
Apart from you, there is no holiness that we can bring to the table. And tonight, Lord, we just draw close. We draw near. We press in. We step into the flame of your presence, of the fire of your presence. Knowing that as we go closer, as we go deeper with you, that your fire, your presence will purify us. You will remove impurities. You will refine us. Thank you, Lord, that you have designed it this way, that we don't have to fix ourselves. We don't have to make everything right before we can come to you, but we just come to you as we are. We draw near to you with our hearts wide open. And we know that you will transform us. You will renew us. You will set us ablaze with the passion, with the fire of your love, with your goodness, your mercy, your loving kindness. We thank you tonight. Worship you, Jesus. Just in the stillness tonight, just just keep your eyes closed before the Lord. Just let it be a time right now, just between you and Him. Just between you and Jesus right now. Just pretend no one else is in the room. This is just you and Him. I just see his hand outstretched towards you. I think the offer that he's giving is that would you take would you take his hand? That he would be leading you, that he would walk you and guide you like a good father and his little son, his little daughter. Will you take his hand tonight and trust him? Doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, how new you are in Jesus, or how long you've been walking with him. This is what he said to the church in Revelation chapter 2. He said, these are the words of the one who holds the seven stars firmly in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know all that you've done for me. You have worked hard and persevered. I know that you don't tolerate evil. You have tested those who claim to be apostles and proved they are not, for they were imposters. I also know how you have bravely endured trials and persecutions because of my name, yet you have not become discouraged. But I have this 
I have this against you. You have abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. Think about how far you have fallen. Repent, which means simply change your mind. Repent, change your mind, and do the works of love you did at first. The one whose heart is open, let him listen carefully to what the Spirit of God is saying right now to all the churches. To the one who overcomes, I will give access to feast on the fruit of the tree of life that is found in the paradise of God. Lord, tonight we just choose to take your hand. We say we want to renew that first love relationship we had with you in the beginning. Lord, would you renew that covenant with us tonight? Individually, would you renew that devotion, that commitment, that pursuit to know you intimately, to know you personally? Thank you, Lord, for your outstretched hand. We thank you, Lord, that you are the initiator, that you are the one who draws us with your cords of love. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. We thank you, Lord. And in exchange, Lord, tonight, for your outstretched hand, we just say here, will you take my heart? Will you take the seat of my affections, the the place of all of my dreams and desires? And would you breathe your breath inside of my spirit, inside of my heart, and release a new spirit within me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. thinking like those times and you're just so hungry and there's no food in the house and you can't find anything to eat you don't want to make yourself anything to eat because you're maybe too lazy or maybe just your circumstances there just isn't any food in the house or you're thirsty place where there's not very much water and I feel like that's where he's where he's maybe bringing us in the spirit where we're so hungry for him and so thirsty for him Lord we, we scrounged around we looked around for you for that food that manna from heaven and we're so hungry 
for you. We can't find enough of you. We're so thirsty, it makes us weak. We're so hungry for more of you, we just... Oh, we can't bear to go any further, Lord, without more of you. Only you can revive us. Only you can bring strength to us. We so depend on you, Lord. We are hungry and thirsty for more of you. Oh, revive us, Father. Lord, we just, we're wilting without you. We can't even, we can't even get up without you, Jesus. Without your presence. We long to be saturated by you, Father. So hungry for you, Father. So hungry, so thirsty for you, Jesus. says it is good to wait on the Lord. And it's a good thing to be still, to be silent before the Lord. Thank you, Jesus.
Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence tonight. Thank you, Lord, that we have come into this place not to get something from you, but that we could fix our attention, our eyes on who you are, that you would become greater to us in our own thinking, in our own beliefs. We know you can do amazingly, abundantly more than what we could ever ask or imagine. But we're here for you, Lord, that you would be magnified in our thinking, in our lives, in our conscience. Would you be magnified tonight? Would you increase our awareness of who you are? Would, would you grace us tonight to get a glimpse of a new facet of your character and nature? Because as we behold you, things change. We change. And if we change in our thinking and we are transformed in our minds, then our circumstances are going to change too. So we thank you tonight, Lord. God, we thank you, Jesus. This evening we're going to in a little while, we're going to have a time of communion and then we'll finish the night off and we we want to blast these guys out the door tonight. Hopefully you're not on a strict time restriction. Okay. Well, I think we're going to be... Yeah, I think I'd like to... Um, we're going to go into a message time, and then when we're done, I'd like to just have communion together and pray for you guys as we take communion. And then you can choose if you want to stay for, we have about maybe 10 more minutes of worship after communion, but just be shortly after eight by the time we're wrapping up. Um, David and Cara, David mentioned the book, um, The Awe of God. We are actually going to be going into a six-week study, six-week training, whatever you want to call it, on Wednesday nights. Not, not immediately, but coming up. Um, John Bevere and his wife, Lisa Bevere, powerful couple that lead a really powerful ministry. They are close friends of Bethel, of the house. And which means, um, you know, Bethel is our stream, and that means that the Beveres, we welcome their influence as well. We've welcomed it. Um, I was personally struck by a message that John Bevere gave at the men's conference at Bethel uh, just several weeks ago. At the, it's a men's conference called Brave Co. Brave Company. And... Uh, so lucky for you guys, 
you don't have to listen to me preach tonight. But, I know, I know, so sad. But this message from John Bevere, I felt was so powerful. It, it shook me and it changed something in the way I'm thinking and looking forward. It's had an influence on, I know, Tammy as well. It's had an effect on you guys because you started reading the book and you were already kind of dipping in without knowing that this was going to crisscross. Um, so tonight, I, I want to present the message that he gave at Brave Co. And it is about the holiness of God, the awe of God, the fear of the Lord. If you've never heard John Bevere before, I guarantee you're going to feel very filled by the end of this teaching because it's filled with scripture and it's filled with the power and presence of God. So you're welcome to, uh, if you feel like you need to use the boys or girls room or grab something to drink, I'm going to go ahead and get it rolling if you guys are okay. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome John Bevere. <laughs> All right, I'm going to do you, do, tell you to do something a little, a little strange, a little weird. Um, don't get nervous. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. <laughs> I'm going I'm to I'm, I'm, I say some things to you that I don't want you to be distracted by looking around. I want you to just listen really carefully to what I'm about to ask you. What if I told you there was a hidden virtue? that in essence is the key to all of life. It unlocks the purpose of your existence, attracts the presence, provision, and protection of our creator. It's the root of all noble character. It's the foundation of all happiness and provides the needed adjustments to all inharmonious circumstances you may face. To firmly embrace this virtue guarantees guarantees success, safety, good health, a long life, and a noble legacy. Now, do these words sound too good to be true? I assure you, they're very true. They were written by one of the wisest men to ever live, and not only that, he did it under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You can open your eyes. What is this virtue? It is called the holy, healthy fear of God. And these words that I just spoke all were written by one of the wisest guys that has ever walked the earth and his name was King Solomon. King Solomon was raised in a family that taught him the holy, healthy fear of God. He embraced it. As a result of embracing it, he became successful. And his success was matched by no other of his time. In fact, he became king of a nation, ruler of millions. Kings, queens, nobles, and ambassadors would travel from all over the world just to get a glimpse of how he ran his nation and to hear the words that would come from his mouth. However, he did not treasure this virtue, but let it slip away. The result of him, and I want you to stop and I want you to think about his leadership. Do you know the Bible says that every family had a home and a garden? 
So under his leadership, there was no welfare. There were no apartments being rented. There was no unemployment. This is the kind of leadership he walked in. But he didn't treasure this virtue that gave him all of this. He let it go. And when he let it go, God gave us a gift. You say, what is that gift? It's called the book of Ecclesiastes. Now there are two books that preachers avoid, Job and Ecclesiastes. Why do we avoid those books? Because listen carefully, they are two inspired books written by two uninspired men. I mean, listen to what Solomon writes. Everything is boring, utterly boring. No one can find any meaning in it. History merely repeats itself as there is nothing new under the sun. What's wrong cannot be made right. What's missing cannot be recovered. The day you die is better than the day you were born? I mean, who writes these things? A pessimistic cynic. A man who looks at life with a jaded attitude. Do you know how many times I've discovered this in green rooms, in ministry? People that are pessimistic, people that are cynical. What happened? They lost the holy, healthy fear of God. But you know what's interesting is God gives us a window into this man's soul because at the very end of this book, he says in one form or another to remember God in one way or another. And he comes to the very final statement he makes in this book. And he says, this is the conclusion of all of life. Fear God and obey his commands for this is everyone's duty. Amen? All right, let's talk about this. First of all, I'm gonna open up with three scriptures that I want you to look at and I want you to ponder, guys. First one is Isaiah 33, verse six. It tells us that the fear of the Lord is God's treasure. I want you to stop and think about this. God's treasure. Guys, do you have treasure? For some of you, it's your fishing poles. For some of you, it's your rifles. What do you do? Do you just throw them out in the lawn and let the rain come on them and the snow come on them? Do you put them in your junk drawers or do you really, really protect how they're handled? The fear of the Lord is God's treasure. Okay, let's look at Isaiah 11, verse three. It tells us that the fear of the Lord is Jesus's delight. Okay, let's go one step further. Let's go to the New Testament. Paul the apostle writes and tells us that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, not with love and kindness. Okay, so let's step back and look at this. We're talking about God's treasure, Jesus's delight, and we're talking about the very thing that matures our salvation. Why aren't we talking more about this? So let me, first of all, alleviate any fears you might have, okay? And let me, let me just say this. I, I think it's amazing how we as human beings have tried to eradicate all fear. We're human beings, guys. There are, it's not one bucket, it's two buckets. 
There are constructive fears and there's destructive fears. Let me give you an example of a constructive fear. Fear produces wisdom. So the wisdom, well, let me say this. The fear of not being mauled by a mother grizzly bear gives me the wisdom to not mess with her cubs in front of her. That fear can go to unhealthy. That fear can keep me from going on a walk in the woods. So there are constructive fears, there are destructive fears. The most constructive fear of all that eradicates all destructive fears is called the fear of the Lord. Now, the reason people don't wanna hear about the fear of the Lord is because we don't like that word fear. But let me tell you, it's not a destructive fear. In fact, the fear of the Lord, well, let me just say it this way. We don't wanna hear about it because we think, wait a minute, I want an intimate relationship with God. I wanna know God. How can I know somebody I'm scared of? I wanna say this, guys. The fear of the Lord has absolutely nothing to do with being scared of God. It's actually more about being terrified of being away from him. If you remember when Moses leads Israel out of Egypt. Now I want you to stop and think about this. Let me, let me ask you guys a question. Where, where is Moses bringing Israel when he brings them out of Egypt? Where's his destination? Everybody shout it. Promised land. No, somebody said at the mountain. What do you say to Pharaoh five, uh, seven times? Thus saith the Lord, let my people go that they might worship me in the wilderness. Why does Moses want to bring them out of Egypt to the promised land without first bringing them to the promiser? You bring them out of the pro- Egypt to the promised land without first bringing them to the promiser, they'll make the promised land into a place of idolatry. Right? I mean, look at this. You've got Israel abused by Egypt. They're eating the crumbs. They're, they're working to build somebody else's inheritance. They got stripes on their backs and their babies are put to death. They come out of Egypt and they're constantly saying, let's go back to Egypt. It was better for us. I look at Moses raised in the most gorgeous house in the world because his grandfather, Pharaoh, is the richest, most powerful man on the planet. He can have a party whenever he wants. He's got every single Harley in the collections. He can have any girl he wants. And he comes out of Egypt and he never once says, I wanna go back. It was better for me in Egypt. What causes a man to say that? He had one encounter with God face to face at that bush. And he wanted Israel to experience the same thing. That's why he brings Israel to the mountain. That's why he says to Pharaoh, let my people go so that they can worship God in the wilderness. So before... He brings them to this mountain. Let me just say this. He brings them out of Egypt straight to Mount Sinai and he and God have this private meeting and God says to Moses, you tell those guys the whole reason, the whole reason I delivered the entire nation out of Egypt was to bring them to me. I wanna meet them. I, it's my will that they are a kingdom of priests. A priest is somebody who can approach God directly for himself or herself or for other people, right? So God says, the whole reason is I want them to be a kingdom of priests. I wanna introduce myself to him. So he says, get them ready. He says, get them to clean themselves up, get the filth of Egypt off of them, wash their clothes because I'm coming down the third day. God comes down on the mountain the third day and what do the people do? They all scream and run away. They scream and run away. So Moses is absolutely perplexed and he makes this statement to them in Exodus 20, 20. He says, do not fear. Now look at this statement, do not fear. Everybody say, do not fear. fear. Because God's come to test you. What's the test? That his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. Wait a minute, do not fear because God's come to see if his fear is in you. 
so that you may not sin. What is Moses doing? He's differentiating between being scared of God and the fear of the Lord. There is a difference. The person who is scared of God is something to hide. What does Adam do? When he sins against God, he hides from the presence of the Lord. This is what keeps men in bondage. You want to hide. But the person who fears God has nothing to hide. That person's terrified of being away from God. So if you want your first definition of the holy, healthy fear of God, it's to be scared, actually terrified of being away from God. The person who fears God doesn't say, how close can I get to the line of sin, the line of the world, and not fall into it? The person who fears God says, I want so close to him, I can't even see that line. So the fear of the Lord, what is it? It is to stand in awe of God. It is to honor, tremble, revere, esteem, respect, value, and venerate him more than anything or anyone else. When we fear God, help me with the slides, okay? When we fear God, we take on his heart. We end up, what is important to him becomes important to me. What is not so important to him is not so important to me. Do you know there are weightier matters, right? Jesus said, you guys, you guys, you pay attention to these lighter matters, but you neglect the weightier matters. When we fear God, we love what he loves and we hate what he hates. You say, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. God hates? Yeah, he hates. There are things he hates. Now, let me, let me alleviate the concerns again because you all have run up against legalists. I'm sure you have. If you've been born again more than five years, you've run up against legalists. What does a legalist do? He distorts truth. Okay, now the, here, let me show you the legalist. The legalist says something like this. I fear God, that's why I hate those sinners. No, you don't fear God at all. It's all right, leave it on the floor. You don't fear God at all. Because you hate who he loves. See, God loves those sinners so much, he sent Jesus to die for them. What God hates is the sin that makes those people he loves. You see the difference? You see how legalism distorts? You know, I'll never forget uh, back in the 1990s, I... I knew there was a call of God on my life to preach. This was the early 1990s and I'm waking up every morning at 4.45 in the morning and I'm going out and praying and I pray till seven and then I'm at the office by eight. Every single morning. I did it every morning. And yet I would stand up and preach and my words would carry no weight, no authority, no anointing. And so one day I'm, I'm, a, bit, I'm a bit frustrated and I'm like, God, I don't get it. I'm praying two hours every morning. I'm preaching your word, yet my words are carrying no weight. There's no authority. There's no, there, there's very, the, the anointing is not on these words. Why? And I heard the Holy Spirit say so softly to me, because you tolerate sin. Not only in your life, but in the lives of others. And then he, and then he said to me, read Hebrews 1. So I go to Hebrews 1 and I discover Hebrews 1 is when God the Father inaugurates Jesus Christ as king of the universe. It's the day he's raised him from the dead. And God the Father says to the Son, now look at these words, guys, because you have loved righteousness. And the Holy Spirit said, stop. 
you love righteousness, son. He said, so does every Christian. He said, but I didn't stop there. He said, because you have loved righteousness and hated sin, or it says lawlessness. Therefore, God, even you, your God has anointed you beyond your companions. He said, son, you learn to hate sin the way I hate sin. You'll see the anointing of God increase on your life. Now, notice he says, because you've hate, hated lawlessness. If you look at 1 John 3, 4, it says sin is lawlessness. Now, you're going to see in the Bible, adultery is sin, murder is sin. But John writes, sin is lawlessness. In other words, John says, if you want the very definition of sin, it is lawlessness. What is the word lawlessness? It is the Greek word anomia, which means this, I am a law unto myself. Oh my gosh. So the problem is, we have people in the church that tolerate lawlessness. That ignore lawlessness. That look the other way and ignore it so they don't have to address it in their souls. Instead of hating it. See, if you go back to the garden, Adam didn't jump in bed with a prostitute. He didn't look at pornography online. He simply chose what it was best for him apart from what God said. See, you got these two trees in the garden. You got the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What's the tree of life? I know God's my creator. I know he's perfect love. I know he knows what's best for me and what's not best for me. Okay, I am your typical dad on Christmas morning when those boys were toddlers, what? We all know this if we're dads, right? Christmas is a work day. They open up all the gifts and what do you do? You build toys for the rest of the day, right? I am your typical dad. You know what I do? I rip the box open. I pour the pieces on the floor, throw the box over the side, throw the manual over the side and I start building that. Spend an hour building it, right? When I'm done building the toy, there's still 10 pieces on the floor. I go to flip the switch to turn it on and it doesn't work. What do I do? I go get the manual, the guy that designed the thing. I deconstruct the toy and build it the way he said to build it. And I flip the switch and oh my gosh, it works. Okay, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Bible doesn't say when Eve saw the tree was evil. When she saw it was good, it would make her wise. The tree of the knowledge and evil represents us saying what's best for me apart from the counsel of God. I don't need the manual. I know what's right for my life. So when you put a pair of pants and a, and a skirt up in front of a five-year-old and you say you choose, you are saying forget that you were fearfully and wonderfully made in your mother's womb, that your creator made you the way you are and you get to tell your creator who you are apart from how he created you. Right? And yet, and yet, and yet we just go, oh, we need to respect what people want to do. You know, it's like saying, I want to respect you. If you want to walk off that cliff, walk off the cliff. You know, we call police when people want to commit suicide. So we're supposed to look the other way. And especially when they're trying to put it on our children. And we're going to be silent and we're not going to hate this because it is destroying the people that he loves. So that's why you don't see an anointing. Yeah. That's it. 
You still with me? If you want to put the fear of the Lord into two categories, I gotta move forward. You can put them into two main categories. Category number one, to tremble at his presence. Category number two, to tremble at his word. Okay? Now, let's talk about to tremble at his presence. God makes a statement to his people through Jeremiah. I love this. He said, do you not fear me? Will you not tremble at my presence? I think we have lost sight of who it is we serve. If you look at the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah was a preacher of righteousness. In Isaiah 5, he's saying, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to the proud. Woe to those who linger long at the bottle. I mean, he just goes right down through it. I mean, man, he's a preacher of righteousness. However, Isaiah 6, God does this thing of he transports this man out of his body and he plops him right down in the middle of the throne room. So here is Isaiah right before the throne of the creator of the universe. First thing he notices is that there are these massive angels that have six wings. And one is crying to the other, holy. Now it says, holy, holy, holy three times. And that's because that was the way the Hebrews would write. Whenever Hebrew would want to emphasize a word, they would write it twice. If you look at Jesus, he says, verily, verily, I say unto you, right? Jesus didn't have a speech impediment. Okay, if you're John sitting at the Last Supper and you're listening to Jesus, Jesus goes, verily, I say to you. He said, verily, so strong with such intent that John writes it twice. Okay, now you're gonna see it all through scripture. See, in English, we boldface it, we italicize it, right? We, we, we underline it. Very rarely does a Hebrew writer elevate a word to the third degree of succession. To do so means that you can't elevate the emphasis anymore. It's the highest degree. Okay, now because we are careless with words, you say, we're, we're careless with words? Oh, we are so careless with words. You know, the only time you're gonna find the word awesome in all of scripture is when it deals with God or his attributes. So I go eat a great hamburger and I go, man, that was an awesome burger. Yeah, then I as a man of God tell you God is awesome and you think so is my burger. So we, de we destroy the English language. The Hebrews understood the importance of language. So the Hebrews were very careful with their emphasis. So you only find three occasions that I can think of on the top of my head where a word is elevated to the third degree of succession. One is in the book of Revelations when the angels, when the final, I think it's the three bowls are about to be poured out of judgment. The angels are crying, whoa, whoa, whoa. They're not crying, whoa, whoa, whoa. They're crying, whoa, so loud, they're shaking the whole earth. So John the apostle goes to that third degree. Well, Isaiah, I mean, we write this song. We, 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 I don't know who the guy was, John Bacchus or whatever he was, wrote this, holy, holy, holy Lord. And, and, and we sing it and we're, half of us are falling asleep. These angels are not singing a song, making God feel good about himself. They are responding to what they see. Every moment, another facet of his glory is being revealed and one cries the other, holy! And they're crying holy so loud. They are shaking the foundations, the doorposts, the most stable part of a structure, of a building, of an arena that seats over a billion beings in heaven. So they are not saying, God, you know, I've been doing this now for 10 trillion years. Can I have a replacement? They don't want anywhere else. Every moment, another facet of his glory is being revealed and one cries the other, holy. 
And you know what's amazing? They're not crying faithful, faithful, faithful. Is God faithful? Yes, you better believe he's faithful. Perfect in faithfulness. But that's not his attribute that stands out. They're not crying love, love, love. Is God love? Yes, he doesn't have love. He is love. But that's not his attribute that stands out. The attribute that stands out above all others is his holiness. You know, I I love what Oswald Chambers wrote. I'm going to read it to you. Oswald Chambers wrote, oh, where is it? He said, when we preach the love of God, there is a danger of forgetting that the Bible reveals first, not the love of God, but the intense blazing holiness of God with his love at the center of that holiness. So here's Isaiah beholding this. And when Isaiah sees the Lord, he doesn't go, dude, there he is. Whoa, hey, God, what's up? I'm here, man, I'm your, I'm your kid, I'm, I'm your preacher, I'm here. No, he's on the floor and he's crying out, woe is me. It's no longer woe is the sinner, no longer woe is the drunkard, it's woe is me. For the first time in his life, he realizes who this God is he is serving. And for the first time in his life, he realizes who he is before this holy God. Listen, God is our dad. He's called Abba, but he is also the consuming fire. He is also a king that is coming back like a lion. We have got to remember this. I will never forget when it comes to that presence. The first time I was asked in the nation of Brazil back in 1997, I remember flying down there. It was my first time ever getting to speak in the nation. I was so excited. Um, It's a national conference. It's not in an auditorium. It's in an arena. And I remember I'm I'm driven there, and that's back in the days when they put pastors on the platform. Why they ever did that, I don't understand. But sure enough, they put me on the platform. So I'm sitting way up here by this chair all by myself. You got the worship team there in front of me, and you've got this whole arena that is jam-packed. There is not a seat open in this entire arena. And I'm, I could tell these guys are really good worship team. I can't understand what they're singing because it's Portuguese, but they're good. And the thing that became so obvious to me within moments is the glaring lack of the presence of God in that arena. And I'm, I'm baffled because this is a believer's conference. This is a 300,000 church network, right? And I, I bowed my heads on, on that platform and I said, God, where is your presence? And I remember when I opened my eyes, I saw things that I didn't see before I asked him. I, I, I started noticing people standing there doing worship like this. I had, people had their hands in their pocket. They were talking to the people beside them. I saw people walking down the aisles, going to the concession stands all around the arena, getting their tacos. On the way back, they see their friend high-fiving them, what's going on? And I'm thinking, okay, this will calm down. Well, they go through the whole worship set. Then the leader comes up and begins to read from Scripture. Now, because there's no music, you can hear the mutter from all the people having conversations. And I'm like, really? And the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit said to me, son, you got to address this. I said, yeah, but how? How do I even get their attention? So he gave me an idea. So when they introduced me, I remember walking up to the, plat- to the podium and I just stood there and stared. And I didn't say a word. Now, when you're the Friday night guest speaker of the national conference and you're just sitting, staring at people for 60 seconds, that gets their attention. So all of a sudden, everybody stops talking. The whole place goes silent. And every eye's on me. They're like, what are you doing? And when I realized every eye was on me, this is the first words I ever spoke in public in Brazil. I said, I have a question. I said, you're sitting talking to somebody across the table. The whole time you're talking, they have their hands in their pocket or their arms crossed looking around as if disinterested or they're whispering to somebody beside them. I said, will you continue to talk to them? No. 
I said, I've been in this arena for over an hour. There's not a drop of the presence of God in here because Psalm 89 verse seven says, God is to be greatly feared in the assembly of the saints. Put it up for me, guys. And to be held in reverence by all those around him. You are never going to find God in an atmosphere where he's not held with the utmost respect. I said, if the president of your nation would have walked on this platform tonight, you would have given him 10 times the respect you did the Holy Spirit. I said, if Pele, your greatest soccer player of Brazil's history, would have walked on this platform, you would have been on the edge of your seats anticipating every word. I said, you've given no respect to the Spirit of God. And I preached him for 75 minutes on the fear of the Lord. Okay? So, so... After 75 minutes, I said, all right, you're in here. You, you say you're a believer, but you lack the fear of God and you're willing to repent, stand up. 75% of the arena immediately stands up. As soon as they stand up, the presence of God comes into the whole arena. I'm like, finally, right? And it was wonderful. People crying all over the arena. I'm like, oh, this is so wonderful. Now, it lifts. The presence lifts after we pray, right? We pray to prayer, repentance, and it lifts. And the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, son, I'm coming one more time. And there's no way I can ever describe this, but I want you to imagine you're standing, you know, somewhere a couple hundred yards away from the end of the runway at San Francisco International Airport and a Boeing jet takes off. That kind of a violent wind came blowing into that arena. When it did, the people started screaming. Now, can you imagine thousands of Brazilians screaming? That's loud. The wind was louder. Now, I will never forget this as long as I live. I am standing there. I'm, I'm surprised. But more than that, I'm petrified. Petrified. But yet I'm drawn to it. Now, that sounds counterintuitive. Sounds totally weird. But it's true. And I remember I'm standing there. And I think I have never encountered a, pres a presence like this in my life. The authority of that presence was mind-blowing. The awesomeness of that presence. And I remember, this is the thought that goes through my mind. Bavir, you say one wrong word, you make one wrong move, you're dead. Now, would that have happened? I don't know, but it happened with a man and wife when they brought their offering to their church service in the book of Acts, they made a wrong move in that presence and they buried them that day. I knew irreverence wouldn't be tolerated. There are like goosebumps on my goosebumps. And I'm sitting there and all that's coming out of my mouth is, oh my God. And, and, and that wouldn't last for 90 seconds. And I remember it subsided. It, it gradually subsided. And it left in its way. People collapsed all over the arena weeping. People were collapsed over chairs, right? And I'm standing there. I'm like, God, what do I do? What do I do? And the Holy Spirit said, I'm, I'm through with you. <laughs> so I gave it to the leader. <laughs> I said, it's all yours. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I remember they, 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 they whisked me. They put me in the car. They, then they put the national soloist. She, she was a soloist that night. And her husband in the car, she screams, did you hear the wind? I said, maybe it was a jet airplane flying too low over the building. She goes, what are you talking about? I saw fire all around. And she starts like, going off on me, right? She's mad at me. Her husband quieters down and goes, sir, he was a lot calmer. He goes, uh, that, that wasn't an airplane. I said, how do you know? He said, there were security men and policemen all around the outside of the arena. They're union workers. Most of them aren't even saved. He said, when the wind began to blue, they came running in seeing what was going on. They asked our leader, said, what is the sound of this wind? He said, I'm at the soundboard. Make sure my wife's levels are right for her singing. He said, the whole time the wind blew, the, the decimal meters were at zero. Not one ounce of the sound of the wind came through our sound system. 
I said, take me to my, they, they were like, do you want to go eat now? I was like, take me to my hotel room now. And I remember I sat on my balcony till 1.30 in the morning, just in awe, in awe, absolute awe. We heard about this for 22 years through mail, snail mail. We, I fly down to Guayana, Brazil in 2016 to speak to 12,000 pastors. The first pastor I meet when I get down there, he goes, I was in the building 19 years ago when the wind blew. My life has never been the same because you're never the same when you encounter the awe of God. God, God makes the statement in Leviticus 10.3, by those who come near me, I must. There are the should-bes in scriptures, there are the must-bes. You're wise to know the should-bes, you're a fool to not know the must-bes. By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. I have discovered something. I used to struggle to get in the presence of God in my private prayer time. Then one day, I, I, by accident, I thought, I'm not singing today. I'm not going to pray in tongues. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to think about the awesomeness of my dad. And I started thinking about the fact he put the stars in the heavens with his fingers. I started thinking he measured the universe with the span of his hand. He weighed the wor- 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 water in the world in the palm of his hands. And all of a sudden, bam, there's the presence of God. I'm like, whoa. So I tried it again the next morning. There, it happened again. So I tried it the third morning. It happened again. And that morning I said, what is going on? This is so easy. And the Holy Spirit said, yeah, how did Jesus teach his disciples to pray? So I said, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed. That's it. Hallowed be your name. Jesus, you taught your disciples to come into the presence of God with reverential fear. Two years after Brazil, I was in the nation of Malaysia, another national conference. This time it's not an arena, it is an auditorium. The building is jam-packed. Not like this this morning where you have a lot of seats open. Literally, people had come from all over the nation. Largest Bible school in the nation was, was where the, uh, the, the auditorium that was connected to the largest Bible school. And, and the place is jam-packed. It was the 10th service. And I'll never forget this. Here comes that presence again. Same presence as in Brazil. However, there was no wind this time. But it was stronger this time. Now, I will never forget this as long as I live. There were women all like five deep all across the lawn. It was a very wide platform, right? And I called all the women up who were called to full-time ministry who had never publicly confessed it. I started coming down the stairs to minister to them. All of a sudden, the presence of God comes in. And within 30 seconds, they're all on the floor and they're laughing hysterically. Laughing hysterically. And I remember thinking, whoa. This is cool. So, you know, I'm a Catholic boy. I wasn't raised Pentecostal. So I just got down and I sat down on the platform and I just started watching. And I saw this one woman, she was rolling back and forth, holding her tummy. And I said, that must be where Holy Rollers came from. Okay, so, so anyway, I mean, it's, it's just amazing. Five minutes of this. All of a sudden, this presence lifts. And the Spirit of God says, I'm coming again. And I remember when he said that within 30 seconds, what I experienced in Brazil happened even stronger. Without one word spoken, I didn't say, his presence is gonna come in a different way. I didn't say anything. All those women started screaming like they were being baptized in fire. They were not being delivered. It was not evil. It was holy. And I remember they're all screaming like they're on fire. Okay, I can't share this with a lot of people because they don't get it. You get it. And I remember, I was already up because I sensed the presence before they started screaming. And I'm walking back and forth again, going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I remember thinking again, you make one wrong word, 
You, you, make, you say one wrong word, you make one wrong move, you're dead. I'm serious. And, and I remember, I'm walking back and forth, and out of my mouth comes these words that I had never thought of before in my entire life. I said, this is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And my mind kicked in. Now, I didn't say this out loud, but I said inside myself, that's it. That's one of the seven manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Because Isaiah said, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Jesus. Look at this. The spirit of wisdom, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of, of understanding, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of the fear of the Lord, and his delight was in the fear of the Lord. I was like, oh my gosh, it's one of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. I'm like, whoa, whoa. I, I know most of you probably knew that, but I didn't know that. And I'm like, whoa. And that's when it became real to me. This is what Jesus delighted in. So, this, this lasted about four minutes. It was, a little, it was a little, twice as long, maybe three times as long as Brazil. And it lifts. And when it lifts, again, I'm like standing there going, God, what do I do? Holy Spirit said, son, I'm through with you, right? Again. So I turn over to the leader. Now, this leader was really wise, really, really. He's really well-known and respected in Malaysia. He comes up and he goes, you know, we, we had a song planned for the end of this, and uh, this is not the time for the song. He said, so, so, so this service is officially dismissed, but you can stay as long as you want. People stay for a long time. And I remember I stayed for a while, and I started leaving because it's 10 meetings, right? And I'm walking out, and, and when I walk out, there's this Indian couple from India, Okay. She got nailed. She was the only one who got nailed, okay? And they're just looking at me, and I'm looking at them, and we're just like, what do you say, right? And I remember she breaks the silence, and she said, I feel so clean. I said, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. She just described what I felt in Brazil, California, North Carolina, Texas. I've encountered it like five times in my life. I thought, that's it. I feel clean, Right? So I go back to the hotel room that night, Friday night. I'm, I'm, I'm like, clean, clean. She nailed it. She, she nailed it. Clean. So the next morning, I'm getting ready to play basketball with the guys in, in Malaysia, right? And I'm putting on my gym shorts. And, and the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, son, read Psalm 19. So I go to Psalm 19. I have no idea what I'm going to read. I read verse 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. I get to verse 9. And it says, the fear of the Lord is clean. I went, oh, my goodness. Now look at the next words. Enduring forever. Spirit of God spoke to me. He said, son, look at the words, enduring forever. He said, son, Lucifer led worship right before my throne. He was anointed to do so. He beheld my glory. He did not fear me. He didn't endure forever. He said, son, a third of the angels surrounded my throne. They beheld my glory. They didn't fear me. They didn't endure forever. He said, Adam and Eve walked in the garden in the presence of my glory. They didn't fear me. They didn't endure in the garden forever. He said, every created being that surrounds my throne forever will be tested in the holy, healthy fear of God. I walked away from that, and I started thinking, there are pastors that have started ministry. There are people that have started ministry. They didn't endure forever because they didn't fear God. Do you know what Barna tells us? That in the last 23 years, over 23 million, look at this statistic, 20. Three million people have gone from practice. this is Americans, have gone from practicing Christians, which means they pray regularly and gather regularly, to non-practicing Christians. And I'm going to take it one step further. He says, these people now are confessing atheists, agnostics, and spiritualists. There are another 20 million who are silent. So let's not talk about the silent ones. Let's talk about the professing atheists, agnostics, and spiritualists who are Went from practicing Christians to that. 
23 million. That's one in every 14 Americans. Not one in every 14 that go to church, one in every 14 Americans. Paul the apostle said, that day will not come unless there is apostasy, a great falling away. We're living in it because we didn't preach the fear of the Lord. Because these people's salvation never matured. But you know what Paul didn't write? He didn't write, they wouldn't come back. And just as John the Baptist was anointed with the spirit and power of Elijah, and he was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, I believe there's coming a group of men and women, young and old, that are going to have the spirit and power of Elijah, and they're going to go after those 23 million, and they're going to call them back home. I believe that with all my heart. The fear of the Lord is to tremble at his word. God makes the statement in Isaiah 66, verse 2. Israel came to the time that we are in America. They decided to obey God when it was convenient. When they agreed, they obeyed. When they didn't, they ignored. Church of America is largely like that. So God one day says through the prophet to these leaders, hey, your lamb sacrifices you're bringing me is like offering me pig's blood. That is like the most riveting statement you can make to a Jewish person. And then God makes this statement, but this is the one who I'm going to look at. Now, the word look in the Hebrew means this. I'm going to pay close attention to this person. So you remember Tommy Tenney years ago wrote the book, God Chasers? Can I say it is one thing to chase God, it is another thing to have God chasing you? What God is saying is this the one I'm chasing. Okay, God is chasing this little kid watching sheep in the middle of the desert. Or the middle of the wilderness, I shouldn't say desert, wilderness. Sends the prophet to his home. He goes through the seven guys and it's like, that's it. And God says to the prophet, no, 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 no. The one I'm chasing is out there in the, in the wilderness right now. So God says, this is the one I'm going to chase. On him who is humble and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. To fear God is to tremble at his word. To stand in awe of God is to tremble at his word. What does it mean to tremble at the word of God? It means, number one, we will obey him immediately. Write that down. We'll obey God immediately. Come on, stay with me on the PowerPoint, please. You'll obey God immediately. Okay, do you know what David says in Psalm 119? I will hurry to obey your commands. Guys, are you hearing this? I will hurry. You ever see somebody says, well, you know, the Lord's been dealing with me about this now for several months. And he thinks he's being spiritual. You're bragging about your lack of godly fear. Seriously. Number two, it means you'll obey God if it doesn't make sense. Does it make sense to forgive those who have really hurt you? Does it make sense to bless those that are cursing you? Does it make sense to do good to those who have stolen from you? Does it make sense to spit in the mud or spit in the ground and make mud and put it on a guy's eyes and say, go wash, and he sees? I could stand here all day talking about that. Number three, it means obey God even if it hurts. Do you know what the Bible says in Philippians 2? That Jesus obeyed the Father to the point of death. And then Peter writes, as Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself with the same mind. Now, the religious person will go out to seek suffering to please the God, little g, it serves. However, the true Christian says, I'm going to obey God in the midst of a fallen world, and I know as a result, I'm going to meet up with adversity. 
They're going to call me a hater. They're going to call me this. They're going to call me that. They're going to exclude me. They're going to cancel me. They're going to take me off of Instagram. Sure is quietness about this church right now. (laughs) Okay. All right. To tremble at his word means we obey God even if we don't see a benefit. (laughs) Do you know we have raised disciples up in America that the only way you can get them to obey God is if you tell them the benefit. If you pray, God will do this. If you give, God will do this. If you serve, God will do this. Does God do this, this, and this if you pray, serve, and, and and give? Yeah, you better believe he does. But that better not be your motive. Because what if that was Esther's motive? She's queen to the most powerful man in the world. And if she goes before him in that throne and he doesn't point the scepter at her, her head comes off. She has everything to lose and nothing, nothing to gain. But she says, I'm going before the king and if I die, I die. There was nothing to get, nothing, no benefit for her. She feared God. It means we obey God even all the way to completion. King Saul does 99.99% of what God asked him to do. But then the prophet said to him, you have rebelled. Now, if he was millennial today, he would have said, now, wait a minute, Samuel. Why doesn't God look at the 99.99% that I did? Why are you so focused on the 0.01%? Because you didn't obey. Because partial obedience is not obedience at all. Jesus said, when you have done all those things which you're commanded, say we are on profitable service, we've only done our duty which was to do. Still with me? Okay, now, I I wanna move over for the last few minutes. I wanna move over to the benefits of the holy fear of God. Is that okay? Can I talk about that for a few minutes? And I'll really go into it tonight. In studying the fear of the Lord for 30 years, I have found over 40, 40 distinct promises that are made in scripture to only those who fear God. Okay? I mean, 40. And they're in the book. I've got the book out there. I don't know if, if somebody could bring me the book. That'd be great. I'll just show it to you. I'll, I'll lift up and show it to you. But 40. Everybody say 40. 40. You got it. Hold on a minute. We got it. No, don't anybody leave. Throw it to me. Yeah, you got it. Go, bro. I got it. Thanks so much. I'll get it back to you. 40. They're in here. I can't cover it. Too many. Okay? So now, the number one. Everybody say number one. Number one. Benefit of the fear of the Lord is an intimate relationship with God. Okay? Proverbs 1, verse 7, Proverbs 2, verse 5 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the starting place. Everybody say starting place of an intimate relationship with God. It's the starting place. In other words, listen, you have no intimate relationship with God unless you fear him. Now, why aren't we teaching it? (laughs) It's God's treasure. It's his treasured gift to us that gives us an intimate relationship with him. Why aren't we teaching it? Okay, Psalm 25, verse 14 says, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. With them, he shows them his covenant, right? Everybody say secret. The word in Hebrew means secrets. Let's say it this way. The secrets of the Lord are with those who fear him. Now, do you have secrets, guys? Let me see a show of hands for all of you that have secrets. Okay, yeah, of course. All secrets aren't bad. You have good secrets, right? Who do you share your secrets with? Acquaintances or intimate close friends? Intimate close friends. God's no different. God says, I share my secrets with my intimate close friends. And by the way, my intimate close friends are those who fear me. Now I'm gonna prove to you I'm not taking this out of context. Let me show you the same scripture out of the New Living Translation. Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. With them, he shares his secrets. 
Now, who is the first person called the friend of God in scripture? Come on, guys, tell me. Come on. Three of you know that? Who's the first person called the friend of God in the Bible? Abraham. He's the first one that's actually called the friend of God, right? Why is Abraham called the friend of God? Because when Abraham's old, God comes in one night and says, Abe, yes, Lord, yes, 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 yes. Uh, Abe, you know your son that you love more than anything or anyone else that you waited for for 25 years that I promised to you? Yeah, yeah, I'm very familiar. Isaac, I want you to go on a three-day journey and sacrifice him. That's it. That's all he says. Can you imagine hearing this? I mean, he didn't even, he didn't even say, he didn't even give him a reason why. He doesn't say, if you go three days and sacrifice him, then I'll send my son. He just says, go do it. Now, you know what my Bible says? Early the next morning. I mean, he probably didn't even sleep that night. But early the next morning, he's on his way. Now, God gives him a three-day journey to think it over. <laughs> Why? Because it's easier when you heard the booming voice of God the night before. But what about two and a half days later when you haven't heard one word from God? One word. And you're looking at the mountain, you're going to put the most important person or thing to death in your life just because God said do it and didn't give you a reason. But Abraham goes to the top of the mountain. He starts building this altar. Can you imagine the emotions? Isaac, probably 13 years old, is building it with him. He loves him more than anything or anyone else. And he's thinking, I'm about to put my son on that altar and run a knife right through him. He ties Isaac up. He lifts the knife and is ready to put the most important person or thing to death in his life just because God said do it and didn't give him a reason. And the angel of the Lord suddenly appears and says, Abraham, stop. Because look, now I know that you fear God. How does the angel know he fears God? Because he obeyed instantly. He obeyed when it didn't make sense. He obeyed when it hurt. He obeyed when he didn't see a benefit and he obeyed to completion. Abraham puts down the knife, unties Isaac, and he lifts up his eyes and there's a ram and he, out of his spirit comes this, Jehovah, Jireh. God just revealed a facet of his personality to Abraham nobody had ever known before because he's my friend. Are you getting this? Some of you might not be. Okay, hold on. Remember, remember the beautiful lady I put up there next to me on that picture? Okay. All of you guys know me as John Bevere, the communicator. Some of you know me as John Bevere, author, but there is a lady and her name is Lisa. She knows me as John Bevere, husband. She knows me as John Bevere, dad. John Bevere, G daddy. John Bevere, athlete. John Bevere, best friend. Can I say this, guys? None of you will never know me as John Bevere, husband. That is a facet of my personality that no man or woman on this earth will know but her because she's the closest person to me on earth. God just revealed a facet of his personality to Abraham nobody had ever known before because he's my friend. Now, look at the relationship between God and Abraham. It's amazing. One day the Lord says, should we do to Sodom and Gomorrah what we're planning on doing without first talking to our friend Abraham? So the Lord comes down by the terebinth trees and he and Abraham go to the cliff and they overlook the plains of Jordan. And the Lord looks at Abe and goes, Abe, we're thinking about blowing up these two cities. What do you think? And Abe goes, Sodom? And the Lord goes, yeah, 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 and Gomorrah. What do you think? And Abe goes, think, think, think. Okay, my nephew's over there, lots over there. Okay, Lord, you wouldn't like blow up the cities if there was 50 righteous people, would you? And the Lord goes, excellent idea. Okay, excellent idea. Okay, we will not blow up the cities if there's 50 righteous people. Glad we talked to our friend Abraham. Abraham goes, what if there's in 45, or 50? Okay, what about 
45. Would you blow the, the cities up if there were 45? The Lord goes, another good idea. Okay, glad we talked to our friend Abraham. We won't blow up the cities if there are 45. Now, Abraham talks him all the way down to 10. He figures there's got to be 10. Lot's one. All he needs nine others. But there isn't. Now, here's the scary thing. Sodom and Gomorrah is buying, selling, planting, harvesting, marrying, and giving in marriage. What does that mean in today's vernacular? Life is great. The economy is booming. And if there is a God, he doesn't mind our lifestyle. They're 24 hours away from being obliterated and they are clueless. That is not what's scary. This is what's scary. Lot, who the Bible calls righteous. Oh yes, 2 Peter chapter 2. Scriptures calls him righteous. Let's put it in today's terms. Born again, Christian, saved. Lot's 24 hours away from being obliterated. He's as clueless as Sodom and Gomorrah. It takes two messengers of mercy, two angels, because Abraham prayed, thank God Abraham prayed, to get him out. Now look at this. You got two righteous men, two saved men, two born again men. One righteous man knows what God's going to do before he does it and helps God decide how he's going to do it. The other righteous, say, born-again man doesn't know what God's going to do, and he's as clueless as the world. Why? Because this righteous, saved, born-again man fears God, therefore he's the friend of God, therefore God shares his secrets with him. This righteous, say, born-again man is not the friend of God because he does not fear God, therefore God does not share his secrets with him. You'll see the same thing with Moses and Israel. They're all saved. But God reveals his secrets to Moses. Israel knows God by how he answers their prayers. Do you know how many Christians there are in America? They only know God by how he manifests. Is this in the New Testament? Yes. I want you to notice the words of Jesus. I could explain this longer, but look at this. He says in John 14, he said, you are my friends. Where, where is it, guys? Can you help me with it? He said, you are my friends. Stop right there. Don't, don't punch any buttons until I tell you. Okay. We write songs about this. We preach sermons on this. We even write books about it, but we never finished his sentence because do you see the word if? If is a condition. In other words, friendship is not automatic. The condition has to be fulfilled. You're my friends if what? If you do whatever I command you. There it is, fearing the Lord trembling at his word. You know what Jesus is saying there? Not everybody in the church is my intimate, close friend. There are a lot of lots in the church, in America especially. But now listen, he wants to be your intimate, close friend. Can I end with this? I know I've gone over time. I, please forgive me. Take it away from my book signing if you want. <laughs> you hear, I mean, the other benefits, you get pure joy from fearing God. You get a lasting legacy. I mean, I could share about all, all this. It's another hour, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going, I'm going one specific direction tonight. But I do want to talk about wisdom because we hear about wisdom a lot. The fear of the Lord, the Bible says, is the beginning or the starting place for wisdom. <clears throat> now, we know that. We talk about it. But what's really sad to me is we don't preach the rest of it. Because it's not just the start. In other words, what's he, what he's saying there is you don't even have wisdom until you fear God. Your wisdom is futile, and it will prove futile. Professing to be wise, they're going to become fools because they have no fear of God. That's Romans 1. Okay? It's not just the starting place for wisdom. 
And this is what I want to leave you with. And I want you to see this because this is where I'm going to pick up tonight. Proverbs chapter 14 says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the traps of death. What he's saying there is death comes as trap. Now, I'm in trapping country. Anybody in here ever trap? Come on, put up your hand. Will you correct me if I'm wrong publicly? You need two things for a successful trap. You need to bait it and you need to camouflage it. Okay? The traps of death are baited and they are camouflaged. Now, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn you away from the bait and the camouflage. What kind of fountain is it? The word fountain in the Hebrew means a continual flowing source. So what is it a continual flowing source of? Proverbs 15 tells us the fear of the Lord is the counsel of wisdom. Hit the button. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. So let's put this together. Guys, listen, don't miss this. The fear of the Lord is a continual flow of the instruction of God's wisdom. It will turn you away from the traps of death. <sighs> oh my gosh. Okay, okay, okay. Let me, let me give you, let me really get you happy this morning. Okay? I'm gonna give you an example of somebody who feared God but had no relationship with God. You say, whoa, whoa, stop right there. You can fear God and have no relationship? Oh yeah, Cornelius. He's a Roman officer. He's devout. What does devout mean in, 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 in Greek? It means he fears God. It's the first definition. So God has to send an angel to this guy. And so I, the angel goes, I can't tell you how to have a relationship with God. But there's a guy there down there at Simon's house, the tanner. Go down and ask for this guy, Peter. He'll tell you how to have a relationship because God is chasing you even though you have no relationship with him. So can I give you an example of somebody who has no relationship with God, yet fears God? And how the fear of the Lord being a continual fountain protected him from the traps of death. Abimelech. Abimelech is the king of Gear. Abraham and Sarah come into Gear, and Abraham goes, you're gorgeous, I'm gonna introduce you as my sister. So he walks in and presents to King Abimelech, Sarah, as his sister. Abimelech goes, that's a babe. She's coming in my harem. So he brings Sarah into his harem. God comes to Abimelech in a dream and says, you are a dead man because the woman you have is somebody else's wife. Okay? Abimelech in the dream goes, I didn't know. I didn't know. I was deceived. She was presented. There was a trap. I was deceived. She was presented as a sister. And look what God says. I know. Hit the button. Hit, hit the button again. He said, I know you are innocent. And that's why I kept you from sinning against me. And why I didn't let you touch her. The fear of the Lord was a fountain of the instruction of wisdom that Bimelech didn't even know was happening in his life that protected him from the trap that Abraham set for him. Now, can you answer this for me? How can a man 
sit in church and hear the word of God for 20 years and end up in bed with another man's wife. It's not rocket science. No fear of God. How can a pastor or a minister preach the word of God for week upon week upon week upon week and end up in an affair with another man's wife? It's not rocket science. No fear of God. 90%, probably 95% of the time that fountain is flowing, you don't even realize it. Now, can you flip it? You're in the business world. You're, you're called to make decisions every day. There's a fountain of the instruction of wisdom because you fear God that's protecting you from the traps of death that sinners are setting for you, that backslidden believers are setting for you, that wolves in sheep's clothing are setting for you. There's a fountain of wisdom. I don't know about you, but that really makes me happy. Did you get something out of this today? Thank you. All right, I want everybody to stand. All right, I want you to lift up your hands. Lift up your hands. I've gone over, but lift, lift up your hands. Now I want you to close your eyes. And you say, John, I am a man in here who I genuinely am a believer, but I have lacked the fear of God. And I'm standing and repenting right now. If that's you, you just say it before the Lord. With your hands lifted up, Father in heaven, I'm asking you to forgive any sins. Men have repented in their heart. I've heard in my heart. I've heard their repentance. But I know you've heard everyone. I just want you to say this. Lord Jesus, forgive me for calling you Lord, yet making your words optional. Forgive me for the times I have treated your word with a casual attitude. I have not opened my Bible to see what you had to say to me. For not depending on your spirit to teach me. Forgive me that there are times when my pleasure and schedule got in the way of what you told me to do. I'm so deeply sorry and I repent. And now I thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses me. Now let me pray for you. Keep your hands lifted. Father, in Jesus' name, I'm asking that you would pour out your spirit of holy fear. Baptize these men in the holy fear of God. Boy, his presence is here. He's here. I am asking that your fire would burn the sins that they have written and taped on themselves and said, we want done with this. Your holy fear would 
burn those desires out of them. That your holy fear would fill their entire beings. There's his presence right there. He's here, guys. Baptize them. Baptize us in your holy fear. There's his presence right there. Right there. Right there. Boy, he's here. Father, I thank you. Purify us with your fire. Mariesto. Vrando Macaste. There's his presence right there. Change us forever. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's his presence right there. There's his refreshing presence. He's here. Father, this is where we're asking that you would change us forever. Change us. Change us. I want you to lift your hands up one more time and I want you to thank him from the depths of your heart. I don't want you to say it religiously. Just thank him.
is going to be hard to transition. I feel like the, the proper response tonight would be for us to take communion together. For you and me individually, just to commit before the Lord, just a renewed, a renewed commitment to walk with him obediently, that as we would take the, the cup tonight, in fact, I'm just going to have you guys here, take a basket on this side and get a basket going on this side. It'll be pretty quick. Nora, you know where yours is at. Let's just take communion together as a, as a exchange between us and the Lord of our commitment to him, our covenant with him, it's actually mostly just a response for us to his goodness and his kindness, his extension of his, his love and mercy towards us. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, the Bible says. So take a moment and try to figure out how to open that thing. If you don't know how, it's not too hard. I figured out you push the tab down to unlock the sealed of the Jew. I had heard this decades ago. Ethan, I wish I had heard this when I was your age. Oscar and Nora, I wish my parents had taught me more about this. I grew up in a religious home. I've grown up in the church. I've listened to sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon. This is a pivotal moment And it's by his mercy that we are hearing this word right now. And that John Brevere has been carrying this since 95. Liberty, this word is for you. This word is for me. Grab hold of this. Chris, this is for you. This is for me. Gene, this is for you. This is for me. It's for you, Judy. Bonnie, Robert, it's for you. This is probably the single most important sermon I, don't, I think we'll ever hear in our lives. Ever.
mess. But I can still commune with my Jesus. So lift the bread up to him. Jesus, we lift this up to you. We thank you. You gave your body for me. You gave your body broken on the cross for me. You did that so I could be free. So I could become holy. So I could become pure and spotless. Just like you are. Because you gave your body for me. I give my whole being to you. Jesus tonight. Jesus, we thank you for the power of your precious blood. Your blood that makes us clean and washes us whiter than snow. And tonight as we take this cup, this cup of redemption, we celebrate your forgiveness. We celebrate the cleansing of our sins by the blood of Jesus, by your blood on the cross. And we thank you tonight that this, this blood, it sanctifies us. It, it makes the offering, the vessels of worship that we are, it makes us clean and presentable, set apart for holiness. So as we take this cup, we say, let a fresh application of your blood be applied to every part of our being so that we could become vessels of worship, vessels of ministry that are set apart for you, holy to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Whoever wants to come up, if you're able. I know that the Lord's presence is here and where the Spirit of the Lord is. Words of encouragement, prophetic words, words of exhortation, strength, they just flow so freely. So I just want you guys to begin to release grace over them now. And if you have a specific word that the Lord is dropping in your spirit, I just want you to uh, put your hand up for the mic and that way we'll have it recorded. We bless them, Lord. We bless them. God, we bless Robert. Thank you, Jesus, that you are this man's strength. You are the strength of his heart and his portion forever. You are his shield. You are the lifter of his head. His mighty God, his protector, his compass. Bless him tonight. We bless this man of God. 
as he leads your precious daughter as they walk together in your plan and purpose for their lives we bless them Lord thank you Jesus we thank you for your presence in their lives we thank you for your hand on them every step of the way we bless their marriage we bless their intimacy we bless their pursuit of you Lord Jesus thank you Lord we just bless Bonnie we bless your daughter who carries your royalty so well thank you Lord that you've given her such a sensitive heart for your voice deep 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 sensitivity to the spirit of God we bless her with joy, satisfaction, knowing, knowing deep within her spirit that you are good and your goodness prevails over their marriage, over their path, over their travels, their plans, their future. Thank you, Lord. We bless them in the name of Jesus tonight. Father, I just pray that every step that they're taking from this point on, Father, God, that it would be done in peace. God, we just release the shalom of heaven over every area, Father. God, in all the busyness of moving, Father, God, that there'd be peace and joy. God, we thank you, God, that your hand is on their lives and that you've brought them together, Father. Just release your blessing over these two, Father. Just as this is a new season for you too, I just feel like you don't even have a clue on how blessed you're gonna be and what God's got in store for you. You have dreams, but it's gonna be so much greater than that. He's going to draw you both together into new intimacy with him. And that it's going to just, it, it, there's going to be a legacy with your children and your grandchildren. So Father, we just bl bless their family, God, their children, their grandchildren. God, I pray that you would, that wherever they land, church-wise, Father God, that they would be able to dig their feet in deep. God, and they would continue to trust in you. We thank you that you've brought them together and that they can min they're going to get to minister together, Father. God, just continue to fan the flame. God, and their entire family, fan the flame, Father. Just bless you guys.
So Chris just moved here from California. They're moving to California. So can you just put your hands on Robert? Then I'll have David read scripture. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Isaiah 60, 19-20 So you guys are going down to sunny California, but the Lord is blessing your exit from the state of Washington, and you are going in the grace of the Lord. But the sun of California is not going to overshine what the Lord is calling you to carry down there. And in fact, you're picking up a deposit right now that you weren't expecting. And I just see you being clothed with new robes of righteousness for the new season that you're going into. And it's been your heart's cry to go deeper, to go higher, higher, deeper, wider now. And the Lord is expanding your tent pegs, and he is expanding your family line. And he's not going to leave no stone unturned, and no one will not be uh, unredeemed of the Lord. So as you go south, I want you to bless the I-5 corridor. That's the grace, grace, grace corridor. You're going in the grace of the Lord. And there's an exchange happening right now, even between Chris blessing you to go back to his home state. So Lord, we just bless right now this couple, Lord, that you have received them. You have received them well. And Lord, that they have done well in the state of Washington. They have done well here, and you are blessing them to go into a place of, you guys are going to be free in California. You're going to step into abundance in California. You're going to step into the peace of the Lord. So, Lord God, we just bless them right now, and we just say, fire of God, fall. Fire of God, fall. Fire of God, fall and fill them everywhere your foot is yours to take right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I hear the Holy Spirit saying that he, I am going ahead of you. I am clearing a way for you. You may be driving through the fog, but your way is clear. I am equipping your eyes to pierce through the darkness, to see the way ahead. I am clearing a place for you in California. I am providing a a wide open place for you, a green pasture, where you will abide in my rest. I am the glory going before you, and I am the glory behind you. Listen to everything I say, and do all that I command you. I declare peace over you. I declare peace over your minds. I declare peace over your hearts. Peace and shalom. Shalom, which is the destroyer of chaos. There will be no chaos in the lives of Robert and Bonnie in Jesus' name.
We say all chaos must go now in Jesus' name. All unbelief must go now in Jesus' name. A son and daughter of the Most High, filled with his love. Thank you, Jesus. Robert, your name means bright fame. Bright fame. And the Lord is your light and your salvation. And you were born to carry his light. Isaiah says, what does Isaiah say? Arise, arise and shine. For your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Behold, darkness, thick darkness is over the people, over the land. But the glory of the Lord has risen over you. People are going to come streaming to the brightness of your dawn. You're going to make his name, his light, famous. Thank you, Lord. And Vani, truth. Truth. Your name means truth bringing the victory. The word of the Lord is going to come out of your mouth and it is going to bring victory everywhere you walk. You're going to speak to circumstances and it's going to move. Mountains are going to move. Walls are going to come down. Victory is going to be enforced from the kingdom into your sphere because you speak truth and you walk in truth. So we bless that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we could. So I, I sense the Holy Spirit um, has something for, uh, for Liberty, Chris, and Ethan. If you, if you want it, we, you can come up here and we'll pray for you. But I think that the three of you, he's got, Holy Spirit's got something for you, Liberty. But, all right. 
we want to in you we can lift you up where you're at because we want to bless you holy spirit wants to bless you he wants to bless you and he loves you very much so if we can just um gather around these gentlemen or extend hands Lord, we thank you for this this moment. Thank you, Jesus. We lift up these young men to you, Father. They have heard your word. that they have heard your word and they are answering their call deep down in their hearts. I thank you, Lord, that you are blessing them, each one where they're at in their lives. I thank you, Lord, that you are equipping them with this message, one of the most important messages that we will ever hear, to fear you above all else, to hear and obey with immediacy and a sense of urgency, your commands. Thank you, Father, that you are blessing Ethan as he is stepping out. Stepping out into that adventure with you, Father, every step of the way. Bless his business, bless his career, bless his future family, bless his heart. Bless all the plans that you have for him. Bless his dreams, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you've brought this revelation and that you're blessing him right now. Thank you, Father God. Bless Chris. Up, Chris. Thank you, Jesus, that you've This man that walks in integrity. This man that presses forward into where Jesus is and what he's doing. Thank you, Father. You are leading him in the path of righteousness. You are giving him the bread of life, living water. We pray that you gird his steps, Lord. 
Father loves you so much and he's so proud of you. He's so proud of you. And he has so much love for you. And he wants to involve you in everything that he's doing every step of the way. So much more than what what we could ever imagine. we just declare right now a fresh 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 fire fire of god fall all consuming fire of god fall upon chris right now there's a fresh wind i see a wind blowing there's a wind and a fire coming upon you it's going to reignite that passion that you had and he's going to take you up another level in the name of jesus we just come into agreement holy spirit come holy spirit come I just see the Lord is unlocking another layer where you have given up in despair. He is breaking that off of you. He is taking you up in joy. You have a good future. Every step you take is ordered of the Lord. The Lord has promises for you. Lean into him. You have a good future. You have good family. You have good friends. He has good plans for you. Lean into him. Just lean into the more of the Lord. Pursue the roar of the Lord. Pursue the fire of God and let it blow off everything else that you're questioning. And the distractions of the enemy are going to dissipate when you tune in to the roar of the Lord. So I just release that fire. 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 We release the fire of the Lord. Come on. There's a new level. This is a new day. This is a new summer. The fire of the Lord fall in this house. The wind of the spirit. Stir it up. Stir it up. Stir it up. Do not forsake the Lord your God. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your steps. This is the inheritance of the saints of the Lord. This is your command, men of God. You mighty men of valor. The Lord is calling you up higher. And you're not going alone. He is the wind at your back. He is the source of the flame. You just got to bring the wood. You just got to bring yourself. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for new dreams and the kindling of what you called them to in previous seasons. In the name of Jesus. feel like the Father is saying to the two of you, say no to the things 
the traps that keep you from saying yes to him. Always say yes to him quickly. We're going to say amen to that prayer. Can we take the last 10 minutes, the next 10 minutes before, if, if you want to get home with Grandpa, you can ride with him, but can we take the next 10 minutes and just, we can stay up front here and just worship. I've got a, a, just the rest of the, the worship that we started with. It's 10 minutes. You're going to get a little Richard Gordon. And we could stay up here. And, uh, and we're going to pray for this man who came in tonight. He's asking for some prayer. So we're going to take about 10 minutes, and we're going to worship, and we're going we're gonna to step into what Richard Gordon is uh, going to lead us through in part of this worship. But let's just continue to receive. There's nothing that we can bring other than what he gives us. So tonight we're just receiving his fire so we can release his fire. We're receiving his grace so we can receive his grace. And Liberty, I just feel like I got to say happy birthday. I know it was Monday, 22, 22, correct? 20, yeah, 22. And I am just, I believe that the Lord is bringing a breakthrough. I don't know what it looks like or how it's coming, but I'm just going to declare over you now. The presence of God is on your life, and he's bringing a breakthrough. Something is going to break off. Something is going to come through. Something is going to be releasing you into your full destiny. There's a measure coming, so I'm just going to declare it now, but we're going to worship. We're going to worship Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We exalt your name in this place. 